0: to Delta Dispatches, we're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Aber with Environmental Defense Fund.
1: And I'm Simone Malaws with
0: Restore or Retreat. And here we are Simone in September. Uh you know it's hard to believe we're just charging through uh through it's 2020. Hard it's hard yeah. to believe
1: we made it to September. Exactly.
0: Exactly. It's hard to believe oh. I hope this means that, you know, before long we'll get some cooler weather, but of course we still got a a ways to go before that happens. Um, Of course, you know, since the last time we were on, um, uh, our state's been hit with a devastating event. We've had um, Hurricane Laura make landfall as the strongest hurricane to hit Louisiana since 1856. Um, You know, there's been incredible damage and devastation in Southwest Louisiana and Calcasieu and Cameron Parishes. Um, and of course, we're very much thinking about our neighbors in Southwest and, you know, everything they're going through right now as they begin their long road um, to recovery. And, and we'll need to be there for them and, and hope that others are as well. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of media attention at the moment that Laura hit and then the aftermath. And even if that media attention goes away, we know that um, what people are going through in terms of rebuilding their homes and their businesses and their lives is going to take a lot of time. And so we need to be there and and help the people that have been impacted by Hurricane Laura. Um, Our organization put together just a landing page with a number of organizations that are doing really good work um, to get food and water and and resources to the people that have been impacted by Laura. So if you're looking for ways to help those um, directly impacted, um, please go to MississippiRiverDelta.org slash Laura relief. And you can see a number of the organizations Um, that are doing work there, you know, um, Southwest Louisiana Center for Health Services, Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana, um, the Mutual Aid Response Network, Cajun Navy, uh, United Way of Southwest, um, just to name a few. So there's no shortage of need um, right now to help those that have been impacted by Laura. So please, you know, make sure we're continuing to elevate that need and talk about it um, and support those that have been impacted.
1: Yeah, and definitely have been thinking about so many of our past guests, Claire Hebert, uh, Lori Cormier out in Southwest Louisiana. I have to tell you, Jacques, I followed Steve Caparata on on Twitter, and he still has some amazing updates and some good information, um, but he was somebody I, I listened to all along the way. He had some great information. So I am thankful for past guests that have been on that have offered us that connection to Southwest Louisiana, and um, and we are still thinking about you and uh, and and hopefully we'll be there for you when you when you need us. Um, we have some guests on that are also no strangers to these life changing events, and I'm very very interested to hear their perspective on what just happened, knowing what they've learned um, the hard way. So. First and foremost, we have uh, Miss Sydney Coffey with us. Uh, welcome to Delta Dispatches, Sydney. Um, Sydney um, used to head the Governor's Office of Coastal Activities under Kathleen Blanco, and she chaired the first Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority. I'm, I'm sure she has some very good stories from those early days I'm very interested in hearing. Um, Sydney also helped to lead the creation of our first master plan, something that we talk about almost every show, and and the reorganization of state government to more comprehensively address coastal restoration and protection efforts. Sydney also worked for, um, she also served under um, Governor Mike Foster, she worked on legislation to fund and authorize the state's coastal restoration efforts. Sydney, you have a long and distinguished resume, but we want to really get to talk about the the work that you did. So, um, welcome to the show, Sydney.
2: Well, thank you. Nice to be here.
1: (laughs) So, you know, we we have all these things happening to us amid a pandemic. So how are how are you doing? You said you got very good at Zoom. How is your family doing as well?
2: Everyone's fine. Um, I have granddaughters who have just gone back to school. Uh, I worry about them a little bit uh, and what's happening. And they think all the virtual uh, school days are hard, is the, they <laughs> say it, is the way they put it. I think it's just hard sitting in front of that screen all day, you know. But that generation is used to sitting in front of screens, so I'm sure they'll they'll do fine. Uh yeah, the pandemic has really been something I know for everyone and as it has been for me. Um lots of changes um in my life and just um you know, it's it's hard. I think everybody has up and down days and it goes like a roller coaster. You know? We all want it to be normal again.
1: Yeah, the, I guess this is our new normal, huh, Sydney? Yeah, <laughs>
2: we'll see. yeah, yeah. Happy hours by Zoom, almost every day. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs>
1: and yeah. Most people need a happy hour every day. That's for sure. I know I, know um, I do. <laughs> so when we reached out, Sydney, we wanted to ask you to take probably a very hard trip down memory lane for the Katrina anniversary, but let's talk about let's talk about the storm itself, um, uh, 15 years ago. And, uh, for Katrina and Rita, what, what were you doing for Katrina? Where were you? What, what kind of work were you doing when the storm actually hit?
2: Well, at the time the storm hit, I was, uh, head of GOKA and, um, spent what, what ended up happening was we spent days, um, well, was I had a public Yeah, I was. I mean, it was under one coat. Um, we spent days in the emergency center. Um, it, it's like what happened the minute, right after the storm hit, when we realized this was going to be a really, really tough one, um, everyone in the immediate you know, administration was called in and were told, from this moment forward, your job changes. Everything's different. Until further notice, and so I was put in the emergency center uh helping to triage and coordinate uh national media uh requests all kinds of media i mean as you y'all can't i mean you do, as you as you can imagine the it was from international, every, right yeah all national, eyes. every point of the globe um it 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 really really was, and so um at the time um America's wetland helped us they were in Washington and helped us triage a lot of those calls because they could get through when we couldn't and so anyway that that was all a very oh those were very 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 tense devastating days um there were times in the emergency center I'll never forget I was walking down the hall. This was after days of this. And um, Mitch Landry was walking from the other end. And he said, Hey, girl. And I said, Hey, and we were just talking. And all of a sudden, you know, he just kind of hugged me and I completely fell apart and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. Um, Because a lot of what would happen each day is we would get All of these notes from people who were taking phone calls and it would say, I can't find my mom. I can't find her house. Last time I talked to her, she was in the attic. So, and they would give us the address of the house. And so anyway, I would get these stacks of these things and take them way down, you know, to the other end of the emergency center. And wildlife and fisheries were the ones handling all that. And so I went in, the first time I went in, I said, hey, look, you know, I've got, you know, y'all have to look at these. And they just looked at me and turned around and, and pointed. And there were stacks and stacks and stacks. It was completely overwhelming. I mean, it's, it was, yeah, I think we all had PTSD definitely after that. It was very, very, very tough.
1: Yeah, all those stacks represented somebody's whole life, right? You know, and and uh, you know that that's why, frankly, I think we saw some of the response for Laura um, because peep, that is still very fresh in people's memory about how we have have to do it this way or that way or things that we never ever would have thought about, right? We we needed to start to think about. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, you know that that we you know we didn't mean this to be. Um, you know, we wanted to remind folks that this is the way we live here in Louisiana, and it's something that we face, and so um, we appreciate you talking about that. Um, you, you were part of the governor's, the governor's had a coastal office before this, right, starting with Mike Foster, and so this office Absolutely. was already established, right, and so that's, that's where you were.
2: Yes, and and I was, the, uh, under Mike Foster, um, I was under Karen Gautre. Karen was working. Yeah, yeah. So, and, okay. and, yeah. And just to go back a little bit before that, when I first started with Mike Foster, I spent, I even had an apartment in DC. I spent half my time in DC and I worked a lot out of uh, Mary Landry's office, but also in great coordination with Tozan's office and um, John Bro's office at the time, because they were, they were in office then. Um, and, so, you know, that whole effort was about coalition building and we built a coalition of, I don't know how many groups, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, I don't know how many groups, uh, were involved. It was well over a hundred and there were environmental groups and, um, just all kinds of, uh, wildlife groups and, um, Anyway, it just went on and on. And so we built a coalition to try to get some sort of revenue sharing passed. That initial effort came within one vote of passing and then didn't. So um, then we went, we kept on working. And as you know, it, it, it eventually passed, which was, you know, which was fantastic.
1: I think people still remember who that one vote is,
2: <laughs>
1: but, but yeah, it goes to show you Sydney, like, you know, it took, it took this whole momentous effort. And then, um, you know, we, it, thanks to Reggie Dupre, right. We we led this effort to constitutionally dedicate that money to say, we will put our money where our mouth is, but that just goes to show you how long that fight was and and how many folks it took to, to bring those resources to bear. So, so,
2: And I you... want I, 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 to just say this. I will not reveal which member of Congress called me, but they were pretty upset at the time that the state was dedicating money
3: Ooh. because they like
2: to do it themselves. They like to give it out and see who gets what. And, um, yeah, that was a, that was a, uh, an intense phone call. That
1: was um, shock. Make a note that we're going to have to have happy hour with Sydney so we can get, <laughs> so we can get that information out of her <laughs> right,
2: right.
0: <laughs> after the, after the show. Yes. Um, well, Sydney, I mean, talking about that moment in time and kind of the, the years after in a lot of ways, and you know, we're, we're talking about Katrina, but of course with Laura you know, we're approaching the anniversary of Rita as well, which devastated Southwest Louisiana 15 years ago. Um, you know, both of those storms were kind of a wake up call for Louisiana. And, and I think you were deeply involved in, as Simone mentioned, the creation of the Coastal Protection Restoration Authority, um, the first Coastal Master Plan. So can you talk us through that moment and really how it um, made Louisiana rethink how it approached these challenges?
2: Well, and you know, we knew. Okay, so having worked all those years in Washington, we knew what was working and what wasn't. And part of what wasn't working was that you had um, the Department of Natural Resources fighting with the Department with the Transportation over the same funds. Not fighting, but but going after many of the same funds. Well, that's crazy. Um, you know, we, we were like eating our young, you know, uh, you just, you can't, you can't do that. You have to have a more, a more concerted, um, effort when it, especially when it comes to getting money out of Washington. And we had worked very hand in glove with the, um, with the Bush administration, um, you know, and they were CEQ with the white house council on environmental quality. Um, I think was very, um, mentally with us, maybe even emotionally with us, but there were powers that be that control the money. And so that's when we had to cut back on our efforts to get the whole cabal. Okay. The big ball of wax and pare down to the first piece that we got with, uh, the LCA. Okay. So, um, it's working with Washington, and I, I've I've watched it in the years since then. Some things have worked, and some things clearly haven't. Because you can't compete with you can't. There are just groups you can't compete you can't compete with, and get it done. You've got to bring them in, and you've got to work with them. You cannot be working against them, or it won't work. It simply won't work. And um, you know,
1: Sydney, when when y'all were talking about creating this one authority to put levies and, and restoration together, which we, you know, when we talk about the story to other people, it's like, how did we not ever do that? Right. I mean, but it's it at the time, right. Did you ever think I am totally changing in its entirety, state agencies and creating a whole nother agency? Like, did you ever have that thought in your mind of like, Whoa, what are we giving birth to here? And and then to turn around and look back how far they've come that you were there for it.
2: Well, you know, we were so mired down in the process that it was we were we were building it on a daily basis. I mean, I would sit in room in a room for hours and hours. With, at the time, Johnny Bradbury, who was head of transportation, and Scott Angel, who was head of DNR, and with a couple of other people we would bring in, and um, Robert Twilley was big in that when it came to the science side of it, trying to craft, trying to see what we could do. And there was a lot of negotiating, because you had two very strong department heads who had jurisdiction over what they did and each of them had to give up something so it took it took a long time and it took a lot of individual uh conversations and then group conversations and and I guess to answer your question I mean I don't know if I ever felt that well I guess maybe when it was over (laughs) when we finally (laughs) did it I thought wow this is this is right okay this is gonna be good this could be really good but at the time, it was really um, kind of
1: hard, actually. So, Sydney, talk about what came along with the new agency, a new plan. And and you. we've had Robert Twilley on the show many times and, and folks like Denise Reed and others. You know, we, we talk about this document now that that's the entire basis of our coastal plan. Talk about what the first one was like and getting to the first one.
2: You know... The the first one that was okay, so that's when um Randy Hansie
3: was oh yeah
2: Kennedy yeah I remember yeah Randy, um, yep. yeah yeah John Horthouse was right under him and John Horthouse. I still was, see John yeah uh-huh. yeah absolutely and so he was really the the keeper <laughs> the keeper of the process the keeper of the plan and so and as as a lot of us in, in coastal most of us know that that first plan was very general. Um, we had to pull together everything that existed to that point, and then start looking at what could be right. But you didn't have you just didn't have the detail that you do now, or the detail that that came to be um, as it progressed. And I have to tell you that that one of the most satisfying things is to see where we are today, to see where it came from that very um, sort of general plan if you will that sort of just carved out where we needed to go and how we needed to get there and to see where we are now is just it just is mind blowing it is so exciting we are such a model for the rest of the country no one can even come close to what Louisiana is doing um, oh. very gratifying
0: I was going to ask Sydney. You know, I, I'm sure you've visited uh, some of the recently completed restoration or protection projects, and what is that feeling like when you go and you actually see something that's been built? You know, based on the foundation that you helped create, you know, years ago.
2: It's 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 so wonderful, and and to see the the progress with, you know, just the policy side of it, which you know, to a lot of people that's kind of boring, but it's like wow and 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 we're now we're now in parts of it that are the most difficult parts as y'all well know um but we had to get there you couldn't you couldn't conquer those policy issues until you actually had done enough to get there right i mean enough science had to be done enough you know just general process had to be had to be done enough progress had to be made so um today it's it's probably even more challenging than what we had to do to start from whole cloth, cloth to, to create a template to work from. Um,
1: yeah. I don't know, Sydney, it it took an amazing feat to take that first step and to take things like COAST 2050 and LCA and right. to even, no, obviously nobody had done that before to put that even all on one page and start there is, is just so amazing to, to be, the kind of leader that would be willing to take that first step, and and so um, we can't thank you enough for your leadership in in those days. But so, yeah. Sydney, you have a. But I of-
2: want to say, but I want to say, Simone, you know, every bit of that credit goes to those guys and gals who were working on that plan because that they were working on that night and day. I mean. At the, the Yemen's effort of that, it just cannot be, I can't even, I can't even describe it.
1: Yeah, I agree. There's, there's an amazing team that went behind that and some passionate folks, right, that, that um, just keep, keep going because they could definitely seem insurmountable at times. So, so I was going to say, you have a communications background. You worked at America's Wetlands for years after you left the, the governor's office. And so, so I just kind of have a question about what, what message do you think that we still have to communicate today here in Louisiana? Um, what do you feel like we still have to say to the nation of the world about what's happening?
2: I think they have to recognize that we're sort of the canary in the coal mine, that we are, no matter the politics of it, because it's just politics, We are experiencing the front lines of climate change on our coast. We are. This is about climate change. And what we're doing is um, ultimately going to tell the story of how we survive as the amazing coastal state we are. And I think that, and of course I can say this without having to deal with the politics of it right now, but, you know, let's call a spade a spade, you know, let's, Let's, let's call it for what it is. It is climate change. We are, This is what we're fighting right now. And we have been for a long time. And um, along with all the other things that exacerbate our coastal land loss, right? But um, I think people need to understand that although we live in a place that, you know, is going to continue to be devastated on one part of its coast or another or all of it, um we have a plan. We're moving forward. It's a plan that should be looked at by every other coastal area in the United States to understand what can be done and just think if the entire coast of the United States joined together and started working together on these issues and coming together on policy that could truly impact all of our coasts, that would be pretty amazing, um, and still, you know, I think I think the age-old uh, message, because it's still true today, is what we do for for everyone else. What happens on this coast is not just about us. It's not just about people getting in hurricanes. It, it it's not just about one fishery or another. It's really what we do. For the rest of the country, and what happens here is so very critical to our well-being as a as a nation.
0: Yeah, well, thank you, Sydney. I, I mean, I think you know we kind of said it said it better ourselves, and I think you're right to express kind of you know that urgency. It's been good to see some of the progress that's come um, recently. You know, the governor made an announcement on his climate initiatives task force, and. Um, you know, so there, there is progress, but it's hard to separate, you know, th- that from what we've been experiencing on our coast and will continue to experience.
2: And, and can I just say something in, in, um, in closing? I, my heart goes out to everyone in southwest Louisiana right now. Um, my son, my youngest son, is a home builder in Ascension Parish. And for the last two uh, nights, he has gotten three houses worth of roofing materials shingles and everything that goes with it and taking them on a you know flatbed truck at you know the limit of what the weight can be and taking it down to Hackberry Louisiana he said he called me last night he said mama I have never he said I thought Katrina was bad and it was he said but I had never seen anything like it he said I'm talking about not a phone line, not a power line, not anything for as far as you can see. He said they have nothing. It's it's awful. And so he's going back again um, tonight. And he said, and you're driving over the Lake Charles Bridge. It's pitch dark. There's no lights. There's no anything. He said it's, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. But um, anyway, so everybody help as much as you can.
1: Yes, yeah, I think somebody said it best. We did not dodge a bullet. There was no bullet no. dodged here, and this was just a different part of us. It, that state that was hit, it, it certainly could have been us, but that that area needs us to respond. And it's still—I think I heard yesterday—billions, you know, double-digit billions of dollars worth of damage, and this is going to take a very long time. Um, but we do have some—we do have some ways to help, right, Jacques?
0: Yeah, I mean, please go to Mississippi River slash Laura Relief. We have a number of organizations listed there that are doing work directly in Southwest Louisiana, everything from providing water, food, building materials, you know, all kinds of things. So um, go to our website. There are even volunteer opportunities, and, and we'll keep that updated. Um, you can reach out to us if you know of an organization that's doing good work to help the people of Southwest Louisiana, and we'll be sure to include it because. Um, you know, like, like Sydney said, like someone said, they're going to need our help for a long time. And it's important that we keep a spotlight on what the people there are going through and the needs they have. So um, huge thanks to Sydney coffee. Um, we realize, you know, this is a difficult moment in time for a number of reasons and reflecting on the past, but I'm um, really appreciate your perspective and your being on the show today.
2: Thank you so That's much good, for you. having me. I
1: enjoyed it. Thank y'all. Thank you, Cindy. We want to uh, close with our coastal voice of the week comes from Stephanie in Lake Charles. I support the coast because I have loved visiting the Gulf Coast and want to be able to enjoy it again with my young grandchildren. Please save it. Just a reminder, you can add your coastal voice to mississippiriverdelta.org slash restore dash the dash coast. All
0: right. And we'll be right back after the break with Arthur Johnson, Executive Director of the Lower Ninth Ward Center for Sustainable Engagement and Development. We'll be right back on Delta Dispatches. Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund.
1: And I'm Simone Willaz with Restore a Retreat. I have the coastal stat of the week. According to Yale's Climate Connections, Hurricane Laura hit western Louisiana with a devastating blow at 2 a.m., Eastern time one PM one AM Central Time on Thursday, October, August 27, twenty twenty, making landfall as a category four storm with one hundred fifty mile per hour winds with sustained gusts. In terms of winds, Laura tied with the last island hurricane of eighteen fifty six as the strongest landfalling hurricane in Louisiana history and tied as the fifth strongest hurricane on record to make a continental U.S. U.S. landfall. Note that the Saffir-Simpson hurricane wind scale does not account for storm surge, only peak sustained wind. So that puts a lot of things into perspective, Jock.
0: Yeah, certainly. And I mean, I think that's what you're seeing in a lot of the aerial images and just images that are coming out from southwest Louisiana right now of the damage. You know, you see a lot of really significant um, wind damage. And so, you know, thankfully there wasn't you know, the tremendous storm surge that they had predicted on top of that, but still there's so much need that people have, you know, in terms of just starting the process of rebuilding their their lives, their homes, their communities, um, and they will for a long time. So please, if you can, um, if you're looking for ways to help, consider going to org slash Relief. We have a number of organizations that, you know, we've confirmed are doing work in the communities to help um, in this relief period, um, and, and helping to get people supplies and water and food and, you know, all sorts of things. Um, I mean, one of the, I don't know if you saw this, Simone, but on top of the devastation from Laura, now people are having to do the work of cleaning up their houses, rebuilding, repairing their communities in the sweltering heat of Louisiana and humidity. And so it truly is, you know, we're, we're concerned about people and, and with this heat that's happening, um, but, you know, it's... A terrible thing to have to go through that, having your house damaged or lost, and then having to deal with the elements of Louisiana at the same time in terms of starting the process to rebuild.
1: Jacques, I remember that after Katrina. I just, and, and maybe that's revisionist history. I just remember that it didn't rain for so long, but it was so hot. It was just so, so hot. I've, I'm going to have to ask Arthur if he has the same memory, but um, that's, I just remember it didn't rain for weeks and weeks, and, but it was, it was just so hot. Um, that's Louisiana for you, right? So,
0: yeah. And and so, I mean, we are, you know, keeping the people of Laura that have been impacted by it um, at the top of our minds uh, and our hearts. Please go to Mississippi River Delta org slash Laura relief to learn how you can help and consider helping those. Um, we're also reflecting, you know, we're in the middle of um, the 15th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, which was on this past Saturday. And then, of course, this month coming up. Um, In a few weeks is the 15th anniversary of Hurricane Rita, which devastated Southwest Louisiana, the very area that now Laura has impacted. So we're talking through all this. We are having a former uh, guest, multiple time guest of the show on to talk about um, how things are 15 years later and and his community in the Lower Ninth Ward. So welcome back, Arthur Johnson, um, Chief Executive Officer for Lower Ninth Ward Center for Sustainable Engagement and Development. Arthur, first, you know, it's been a while since we chatted of course there's a lot going on with coronavirus and the public health emergency and, and now we have um you know these natural or, or not natural disasters on top of it right so how are you doing how's your family doing and and how are things in the length
3: the lower ninth ward right now sure well thank you jock and, and simone this is um you know these are very challenging times and i really appreciate your you know your reaching out um you know we're, we're surviving and um you know, in the last since mid March with the pandemic, and we then moved into hurricane season, um, the economic crisis, and all those other things that impact the quality of life. Um, you know, we're, we're we're surviving. We're trying to make things do what they do, as that kind of saying goes. And um, you know, and and we're putting a lot of our faith and direction into. Um, working together and, and, and trying to uh, make things be more productive and, and to some degree, a little bit more positive to give some sense of hope. I reach out to my sisters and brothers in, uh, in Lake Charles and in that, those greater Lake Charles area that have been impacted. Um, it be of course, <laughs> just reminding me of the impact of Hurricane Katrina 15 years ago um, that impacted us. And, you know, it's very difficult to put it in perspective. Um, 15 years have passed by, but the fact is that still there's so much that uh, still needs to be done, so many things that were promised that didn't happen. So in the Lake Charles area, you know, we reach out to them. Um, We are working with several groups to help. Uh, any way we can, and we know that this is a this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. This is not going to be over in a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of months, even. This is going to be years of I won't even call recovery. I'll say of rebuilding and 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 trying to put people's lives back together, trying to deal with the losses, trying to understand uh, the bureaucracy, and uh, sometimes the insensitivity. That comes from our own public officials, uh, both local, state and federal, in relation of understanding the impact of a disaster of this nature, you know, and and the people are there. And, you know, I, I continually read out and hear about um, families who not only have lost everything, but many of them have lost family members and some, uh, the impact of the of the disaster, uh, carbon monoxide uh, poisoning and things of that nature. And, and, you know, and it's just heartbreaking to, to hear that and, and to uh, put that in perspective. But, you know, we reach out to them. We, you know, we look forward to working in any way we can to try to bring some element of uh, prosperity to a very right now dismal situation. And realizing that we will prevail, and but we will have to do this together. And in our environmental uh, family, you know, we have to make sure that we continue to reach out and don't forget. Because of course, as we talk about uh, Hurricane Laura, we realize that you know, in the uh, in the distance, not too far away, there's there's several depressions uh, being developed, and who knows what's going to happen. So we're in that. Height of our season, uh, particularly in the in the New Orleans area, uh, from uh, early August uh, probably through the end of September. So you know every week is almost a challenge of what's coming next. But we can't forget about uh, our our, our uh, constituents in in Lake Charles and what's happening there. Even no matter what happens with us on that point.
2: Yeah.
0: I really, I mean, I appreciate that perspective so much, Arthur. And, and um, you know, this Saturday was the 15th, you know, year that's passed since Hurricane Katrina happened. And, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about hurricanes, you know, and, and we realized Hurricane uh, Katrina was in many, many ways a man-made disaster. Um, and we realized that hurricanes um, exacerbate existing inequalities and issues of racism, um, and social injustice, and I, I don't know if you saw, I mean, Jarvis DeBerry had a really powerful piece in The Illuminator talking about Katrina and that lens in terms of, you know, how it exacerbated um, inequality, inequities, racism, and we're still seeing it to this day. Um, certainly that's playing out um, And Laura, uh, with Laura, as you mentioned, with just some of the issues of, of air quality and pollution. So, I mean, can you share with us your perspective on how hurricanes Compound these these existing social injustices, these existing inequities, whether it's a public health crisis like COVID or just long entrenched um, issues of of
3: racism. Well, I think the you know the 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 really the social injustice, the environmental injustice, uh, the racial injustice. These factors, in the past, I think, have been tried to look at individually as separate silos, and in reality, they're not. They're they're combined in. And, you know, and these all impact their quality of life. So, you know, we've seen through, uh, of course, Hurricane Katrina, but other disasters as well, hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, that the the injustice of uh, particularly in underserved communities and most vulnerable communities, which are always usually located close to a watershed, you know, like the Lower Ninth Ward and the Mississippi River and Bayou bienvenue and along the Gulf Coast uh, and we we have unfortunately a tendency in this country to focus about the more prominent uh, components that these disasters impact, and then that goes along with the health disaster, you know, and we sometimes leave out until leave out the issues. That truly are seem to be very prevalent, but don't surface uh, unless someone, usually media, brings it to the attention and forces it to happen, or unless you have the social protests, which are they're forced to look at it. Uh, otherwise, it kind of gets covered up in in these issues, and and I think that's you know that's what we're concerned about as it relates to Laura and and any of these disasters happening that happened in Katrina, you know. We we seem to just accept. In Katrina, for example, uh, the people that were at the convention center and they didn't have any water and they didn't have any food and they and and they was out in the heat and this was of course one of the hottest uh, periods uh, in in our time that I remember and you know and we see these on these cameras and nobody's doing anything and everybody's pushing. You know the the ball is someone else. Well, it's not my responsibility. I don't know what to do. No one told me what to do. And in the meantime, people needing needing water, their fluids, and the trucks are riding by with with truckloads full of water, military. And so I hope I would hope that this is not the case in in Lake Charles. But I am very much concerned as a realist that there probably is that if there are. Uh, those who are in need that are not being um, serviced. I I read just, I think yesterday or the day before, that Lafayette, the mayor of Lafayette said, well, you know, we can't open up a disaster center in Lafayette because of our social protests. And, you know, I'm appalled by that because the fact is, yes, what happened in Lafayette, which got, seemed to be covered up, that there was another police shooting of, a black man, a young black man, that was killed, um, and and there are protests about that, uh, and this happened on Saturday, and I didn't hear anything about it until um, Monday, uh, and and then you know it seems that this 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 whole protest, then you couldn't you know you couldn't open up. The, one of the the closest, largest city uh, to Lake Charles to help those residents of Lake Charles so that they wouldn't have to travel so far. Because you were not because there was violence so much as he said, well, because the possibility there could be violence, and this is the this is part of that social racism that seems to continue to exist in our country, and as we tie that into the environmental. Uh, aspects of what we deal with and environmental injustice and and our social injustices all tying into, these all impact the most vulnerable people, mostly people of color, uh, definitely all poor people and that don't get a say or their say is never uh, announced so that people know how they feel or what's going on. And usually it's weeks after that you hear about it. And then there's a whole lot of hoopla, but the fact is this has been going on for weeks. So, you know, I, I'm very much concerned. It actually angers me because, you know, we we keep seeing this over and over again. And, you know, whether it's in is Southeast part of the country or in the West or in the Northeast or in the Midwest, you know, and we don't seem to have, you know, the kind of leadership in our country, to at least acknowledge right from wrong, you know, and there's always this separation. And we, you know, and we we also see that when we bring it down to our own state, of looking at environmental issues and and you know, of course, oil and gas is always a big uh, discussion of, uh, of of how we deal with that and the impact that that has on our communities. Um, yes, it can bring resources and revenue in, but it also takes so much out of the natural resources of our country. We, we become in sensitive to our native American sisters and brothers and respecting their heritage and their culture, you know, and we said, so we, I guess we don't want to accept the fact that they were here when, uh, when, when people came to this country from another country, uh. And you know, and we act like like they're infringing on our on our rights, so I can go on and on, jock <laughs> with that, but you know it, it's it's very sensitive, and you know, as I'm becoming one of those not so young people uh and you've seen different situations yes it it does strike a nerve
0: mhm well i you know Arthur, I appreciate you your sharing that I know it's you know it's not easy to to reflect on these things and in, the, in this moment when there's just so much happening in the world and it just feels like everything is compounding. But I think one of the things that I really took away from that was just the, the need in these moments to not just think of things as like, Oh, they, this is a hurricane. This is a natural disaster, but to really dig deep and understand what's happening even before that storm makes landfall, right. That that's going to create the effects that that's going to exacerbate the effects that will be seen later. And I, I think about, you know, storms that are hitting our country and, you know, national media rush in to cover it and then they, they leave, right? But the needs of those communities persist long beyond, you know, the, the news headlines. Um, and, and we certainly saw that, um, you know, in Katrina. I mean, another aspect is, look, in Louisiana, these storms can come to any of us. You know, Laura could have just as easily hit Southeast Louisiana. We open our doors to our neighbors and other communities when they're in need. You know, we have 5,000 evacuees right here in, mm-hmm. in New Orleans. Um, you know, we need to be there for Southwest Louisiana um, yeah. because it could be us next time. And so, yeah, well, I, I do want to ask, you know, um, Arthur about Katrina um, and, you know, 15 years have passed. And, and you know, there has been a lot that's been said, um, you know, in the media and otherwise about the storm. Um, you've been working day in and day out with with the Lower Ninth Ward CSED, helping the community um, deal with you know not just the recovery from Katrina, but like you said, now we've got economic crisis. Now we've got a public health crisis. We're you know worried about the impacts of climate change and how that's going to exacerbate issues in, in, in our and these communities. And then also, um, you know, we have to be vigilant for the next storm. So, t- how how are things going in the Lower Ninth Ward? Can you paint a picture of you know? Both, you know, signs of hope, whereas there, there's been progress, but um, also needs for the future.
3: Sure. Well, I think you know, in the Lower Ninth Ward, um, you know, like many communities, um, most vulnerable communities, uh, you know, we're 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 working with these different crises that are uh, are there, and uh, and again, I, I can't overemphasize this point that all of these. Crisis. All these challenges are, are all linked together. They're not separate. Uh, they they do link together, and, and they uh, impact uh, residents in so many different ways. Uh, and I also want to say that these are things that are, are long term. These are not things that are going to be resolved in a in a week, in a in a month, you know, in a in three months. Uh, and they're gonna have long lasting impact, the same as a hurricane as Hurricane Katrina or any major hurricane that comes in and destroys someone's life so So we're working with our, our sister and brother organizations, nonprofits, neighborhood associations, uh, community leaders, and that also includes the 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 city uh, community, the mayor's office and office of neighborhood engagement, and the like. And we're all linking together and, and to try to find ways to to address these challenges as best we can and to help people and help the most uh, vulnerable, such as our seniors and, and our families and children in uh, and, and, uh, helping with the health crisis. You know, education is so important because the more that you're aware of the issues involving the challenge, the better maybe we can come up with ways to resolve it or at least to ease the the impact uh, and eventually resolve the issue um but you know understanding also the economic crisis I mean when people don't have jobs and when they're in and when the the future there's no light at the end of that tunnel that they can see um you know <laughs> this impacts and when people have to make choices uh what you know, because there, there's only so many, so many dollars available, and and so you know, we always hear them talk about seniors, and do they have to talk about, well, do I make a choice between my medicine and and getting you know and food, uh, or what bills do I pay? Do I keep the lights on, but I can't pay my car note, or um, you know, or my insurance? Because some of these things are again are life-changing decisions such as if you don't pay your insurance whether it be homeowners or flood insurance and we're in the middle of hurricane season if you uh or if it's a life insurance and something happens i mean you know these are things that many times are not brought into focus of the decisions that people are making daily on how to survive you know where children being able to go to school. Well, now we have, because of the pandemic, a concern of, you know, whether it's virtual school. Well, that requires that you have to have some, um, you know, technology and, and hardware. And so, again, in many of our vulnerable communities, that is not an option. You don't have it. And now without a job, maybe you can't afford it. So that means our children who are already, uh, at at risk is related to education or even going to be more at risk. And, you know, and it's not just always being behind. It's the fact of that we're not providing what that child needs to learn. And so to me, it's our fault. It's not their fault, you know. And, and you know, and and no one wants to say that because we spend a lot of money on a lot of things that to me are not always necessary you know but we justify that we have to have this and the legislature does that the congress does that our city council does that and but again we do see people who are hungry these long lines of people in line uh to get food you know when we're we're, we're you know we spend to me more concern about whether the Saints or the Pelicans will play or how they'll play in the bubble than these people who again, this is their life. When when those sports teams go back to playing whatever it is, the scenario, they're still gonna be hungry. They're still gonna lack education. They're still not gonna be able to meet their their health needs on that basis. So so this is where, you know, I'm fired up about what I see going around because you know, they say enough is enough. And we have to stop just ignoring that it's no longer there. And when we don't want to talk about the hard issues or sometimes the more difficult uh, uh, comments that are out there uh, and and we have to stop doing that because we're losing generations and we're losing hope.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's just been so much, you know, that like, I think people, uh, you know, like you said, they just like want to get back to normal or they want to in a way like, pretend like, you know, we're, we're at a place where we can kind of move on from what we've been experiencing. But the, the truth is, um, you know, for so many communities, that, they, that that's not an option. You know, they don't have that luxury to just, or privilege to just move on and, and ignore what's going on in their day-to-day lives. So it's really important that we keep that spotlight on, regardless of what's happening, you know, in the news, and then sometimes because of it. So Arthur, I, I know I want to be sensitive to your time, and I know we've kept you for a while, but um, I want to be sure, where can people go um, to learn more about the Lower Nine Ward Center for Sustainable Engagement and Development? Also support you all and the important
3: work that you're doing. Okay, well, we're, again, our acronym is CSED, and our address is 57, I'm sorry, 5227, 5227 Charter Street, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, 70117. Uh, my phone number is Erico 504 421 That's 504 421 Uh, and our, uh, email address, I'll give you mine directly. It comes there as a Johnson at sustain the That's S U S T A I N T H E N I N E.org. So yeah, please, uh, Reach out to me, um, you know, we're working with so many different uh, groups, uh, not only in uh, the Lower Ninth Ward, but also in New Orleans and along the Gulf Coast as we talk about trying to work together to help our uh, sister and brother uh, communities along the Gulf Coast that have been impacted by Hurricane Laura um, that are, are dealing with the economic and the uh, pandemic crisis that are there, and um, you know, and, and so it, it's so important that we have to unite as as a team and as a coalition to address these issues and to try to work together and provide whatever little bit that we can provide. Because if everyone does a little, then we start to grow and get a lot. You know, it doesn't have to be all at one swoop, but we can't leave out and we can't forget uh, those who are suffering, who are hurting, who have losses. And realizing, you know, and, and don't get any kind of recognition, uh, in, in the issues they're dealing with. So, Jock, I really thanks for being on board. I look forward to coming back. This is always a pleasure, uh, to be, to talk with you and, uh, to share information. And uh, again, if anyone reaches out, please forward them my information so that we can continue to help to make a difference.
0: Absolutely, Arthur. And you know, you always have um, an open seat on our show. Um, or I guess I should say an open mic. Anytime you want to come on and talk about the the great work that you all are doing um, to help so many communities and in, in the Ninth Ward, but also, like you said, across the, the Gulf Coast. So thank you so much um, for being on, for sharing your perspectives, and, and more importantly, for the, the work that you all are doing as an organization. Um, well, that's it for today's show. You know, it was certainly one that, um, you know, it's important to reflect on where we've come in 15 years, but also how much more we have to do, um, you know, not just as it relates to any one anniversary, but on an ongoing basis. Um, and I think Arthur and Sydney both did that um, and highlighted, you know, where we need to go looking forward. So please, um, one more time, I just want to give a plug to um, MississippiRiverDelta.org slash Relief. Please go online. Um, and find ways that you can support a lot of the organizations that are working directly in Southwest Louisiana to help communities that have been impacted by Hurricane Laura. Um, even if it's none of those organizations, find an organization that's doing work and helping directly support the people who are going to need our help for a long time right now. So, um, again, our, our, our hearts, our, our, our prayers, everything are with the people of Southwest Louisiana in this difficult time. And we also need to get our feet and our, you know, our arms and, and our, um, you know, our bodies to help as well as much as we can or, or just in, in other ways to support them. So um, we'll continue to share, um, you know, information and news as it relates to the storm um, and uh, in future episodes. And please reach out if you have um, information you'd like to share about ways that we can help those communities. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be back on the next episode talking more about ongoing recovery from Hurricane Laura and also, you know, needs of communities across um, Louisiana. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.